0: Hi, Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 34. Continuing on with the Historic Preservation series, uh, this episode is going to be concerned as Part 1 with roofing. The roof is the most critical building assembly maintaining the integrity of the building. Throughout time, builders have tried to construct durable roofs that provide protection from moisture, from rainfall, and from melted snow. Failure of the roof to resist moisture penetration rapidly leads to the decay of the materials within the building. As moisture penetrates and migrates by gravity through the building, the affected materials are vulnerable to rot, corrosion, staining, warping, and other decay mechanisms, such as mold and freeze-thaw problems. The structural decay caused by these mechanisms can cause further failure of the roof as connections fail and joints open to admit admit additional moisture. While roofing systems originally were constructed from locally available materials based on traditional building practices, modern roofing practices have evolved based on the type of building being constructed. Many early roofing systems feature a steep sloped construction that allow water to drain directly from the surface. As time passed, commercial, retail, industrial, and residential buildings incorporated low-slope roofs, often now commonly and inaccurately referred to as flat roofs, into their designs. In modern building practice, a low-sloped roof is one where the pitch is less than 3 inches per vertical rise of 12 inches on the horizontal run. Since one of the main purposes of the roof is to shed water and snow, a flat level roof would let rainwater or snow melt remain on the roof to eventually penetrate into the building as the roofing material ages and decays. In this regard, even what appears to be a flat roof is actually constructed with a pitch to accelerate drainage from the roof through scuppers along the parapet at the edge of the roof or into sumps having a patch that exceeds three point or three to one three to 12 ratio and this will be referred to as a steep slope roof of three to 12 is steep sloped so throughout the past four centuries a variety of roof shapes have evolved the roof became a character defining feature of the building on which it was located when altering or expanding a building is necessary to respect the historic roof shape and materials to ensure the retention of the historic integrity. Roof construction. Roofs consist of five major components framing, sheathing, cladding, flashing, and drainage systems. Although construction methods varied based on the local tradition and availability materials, these components can be found in some form of every roof. Durability of the roof depended on four factors. Physical properties of the materials, the way in which these materials were fabricated, the installation techniques, and regular and timely maintenance. Poor quality materials, poor fabrication and installation methods, and lack of maintenance all significantly reduced the useful life of any roof. The earlier steep slope roofs used in timber framing systems consisted of pairs of rafters placed at a pitch greater than 3 to 12. These rafters were classified as principal rafters, the larger timbers that framed each bay of the building, and common rafters, the smaller members that were evenly spaced between the principal rafters. Each rafter pair met at the roof peak or was attached to a continuous ridge beam. A series of structural members, known as purlins, were attached at right angles to the principal rafters and provided intermediate span support for the common rafters. The sheathing system was then attached to the rafters or the purlins themselves, depending on which type of construction tradition was used. As balloon framing and the subsequent platform framing came into use in the early 19th and 20th centuries, respectively construction techniques were adapted to meet the stylistic needs of the succession of building styles popularized by the design taste of the period while the distinction between principal and common rafters receded the stick framing methods still used the basic principles of load transfer in timber framing techniques the major difference was that the loads were carried by uniformly dimensioned and evenly spaced, lighter framing members. In larger buildings that required spans longer than those that could be provided with a single length of the rafter or floor joists, built up truss systems were used. Trusses were originally crafted from wood timbers using mortise and tannin constructions. However, wrought iron reinforcements were in use by the mid 18th century. Throughout the 19th century, truss construction evolved to include steel gusset plates and rods that relied on threaded nuts and bolts for connections. As steel production technology improved in the late 19th century, trusses were constructed completely of steel using threaded, welded, and riveted connections. By the mid-20th century, trusses made from metal alloys were being used to put tension on high tension steel cables for roof structures such as as the north carolina state fair arena in raleigh in 1989 or 1999 which spawned a number of va- <coughs> variants well into the late 20th century except for spanish influenced colonies low slope roofs were uncommon in the early colonial buildings the low slope roof gained wider acceptance during the industrial revolution of the early 19th century, and by the end of the 20th century was standard practice for industrial and commercial buildings. The early use of wood timber framing for low slope roofs was replaced in the mid to late 19th century by steel beams and trusses, as well as reinforced concrete variations of the same members. In the early 20th century, architectural revival styles, Spanish colonial, mission, and Mediterranean and modern styles, were introduced that included the use of the low-sloped roofs as a character-defining feature. Once the framing was completed, the sheathing substrate for the cladding was added. Two techniques were used on steep-slope roofs. The first was open sheathing, which consisted of an open assembly of boards or battens that did not form a continuous enclosure over the framing of the roof. Overlapping layers of cladding were then (coughs) attached to the assembly. The second was closed sheathing, which consisted of boards or planks secured to the roof framing, with no significant gaps between them. The introduction of metal roofing cladding dictated the use of closed sheathing methods. By the mid-20th century, plywood-based products had largely replaced the use of open sheathing methods in steep sloped roofs. Although the underside of the sheathing and cladding to dry is important in extending the life of a useful roof, the open sheathing method enabled air to flow through the roof assembly to accelerate drying. To accommodate the ventilation needs of the cladding when closed sheathing was used, the the application method could be adapted to include roofing felts or battens and cleats between the roof substrate and the cladding materials. Low-sloped roofs were sheathed with a decking assembly consisting of planks, boards, and when they became available in the 19th century, corrugated metal or concrete, which was poured or precast panels. After World War II, the use of metal on low-sloped roofs broadened to include extruded alloys as part of the cladding sheathing assembly process. Let's talk about cladding. In primitive societies, thatch, bark, and animal hides were used as cladding. Advanced societies used materials that reflected more advanced technology. The earliest of these cladding materials was clay tile. Later materials included slate, wood, metal, asphalt-based products, and rubberized membranes. Thatch was used in the early North American colonies but practices quickly moved to wood shingles. Documented documented evidence shows that clay tile and slate were also used in the early colonies. Tile was known to have been made by the Dutch colonies in 1650, but was largely imported from Europe until the 18th century. Similarly, slate roofing was in the use by the mid-17th century, but it was not until 1785, that a commercial slate quarry opened in the United States. Concerns for fire safety by the mid to late 17th century led to wider adaptation of clay tile and slate in more congested settlements, such as Boston and New York. For high slope roofs, tile, slate and shingles represent the oldest forms of roof systems that were laid up in successive all-set layers where the lower course was overlapped by several inches by the other course. The remaining exposed portion or reveal of any given lower course ranged from a few inches to several feet. The overlapping course protected the joint below it based on the principle that water will flow downward with gravity without being drained back up into a joint. By the late 19th and early 20th centuries, Manufacturing processes have evolved to allow the use of stamped and some rolled roofing products. The earliest forms of these were metal panels and strips that interlocked or were mechanically fastened together, as well as bitumen and asphalt-saturated felts and other textiles. Low-slope roofs, previously used only in dry, hot climates, were constructed for many commercial and mill manufacturing along the East Coast, due to the demand created by the Industrial Revolution. The continued development of the steel industry throughout the 19th century based <clears throat> increased the ability to produce large quantities of rolled and stamped steel and other metal roofing processes for low-sloped or steep slope roofs. So by the early 20th century, standardized build-up roofing systems had been introduced for the low slope roof market, that remained the dominant form of the low roofed construction until the introduction of single ply membrane roofs in the late 20th century. So let's talk about clay tiles. The use of clay tiles for roofing has been documented as far back as 10,000 years ago in China. Clay tiles can be used to form specific shapes for various common and ornamental roof elements. While it is possible to make a plain tile similar to a flat (coughs) shingle, these roofs commonly consisted of tiles formed as convex and concave surfaces that were overlapped so the water could not penetrate any of the joints that were there. The most common form of the pantile tile, which had been horizontally orientated to an S-shaped profile that allowed for the convex portion of the overlap the concave portion of the adjoining tile. While roof tiles were used in early colonial buildings, their popularity waned in the 19th century with the introduction of metal roofing products. Revival styles of the early 20th century brought them back into popular usage. Tile is vulnerable to wind loads and mechanical failure when they are struck by tree limbs or walked on. If the fastening system corrodes or fails, tiles may slide out of position and allow moisture penetration. Clay roof tiles can last for more than 50 (coughs) 50 to 100 years. In the early 20th century, a number of the tidal substitutes were developed, including concrete and an asbestos cement combination from the National Park Service. These were intended to make the roof fireproof while making the installation faster, lighter, and less expensive. What appears from ground level to be clay, tile may be, in fact, one of these substrate products. So let's take a look at these possible products. Asbestos cement. So concerns for fire safety and durability led to the introduction of asbestos cement products for both roofing and siding in the early 1900s. Early roofing versions of these products were created using a wet mix process that combined asbestos, cement, and water into a slurry that was fed into a laminated machine to form interlaced layers. These layers were then pressed into flat or corrugated sheets. Later a dry mix approach was introduced in which the asbestos and cement were combined on a conveyor belt. So water was added and the mixture was then rolled under a hydraulically weighted cylinder. An emboding cylinder was then used to create the desired texture. When the product had cured for 24 hours. The sheets were cut, pinched, or seam-curled into the finished shape. Color could be added using pigment mixtures or by pressing ceramic granules into the panel while it it has been drying for several days. Let's talk about slate. Slate was imported from Europe, primarily Wales, until commercial slate quarry opened in Pennsylvania in 1785. Local slate deposits were known from Maine to Georgia but lack of economical transportation methods limited their use. As railroad networks explained in the 19th century and Welch miners who migrated to this country, American slate became more readily available. As the country expanded westward, other slate deposits were found, but the most desirable slate still came from the East Coast. Slate production flourished throughout the 19th century. However, Due to market competition from other roofing materials, manufacturers by the end of the, <coughs> the 20th century, um, active quarries remained only in these three concentrations. Vermont, New York, Eastern Pennsylvania, and Virginia. Slate is a metamorphic stone that has been split and cut in a variety of shapes and a fairly uniform thickness. Roof, roof slates were made by cutting raw slate blocks vertically and horizontally, along the grain and cleavage planes, respectively into a variety of standardized sizes. Slate varied in hardness and color. Most hard slates could last for more than a century, while softer slates might last for only 40 to 75 years. Colors include black, green, gray, red, maroon, and purple. After a slate was cut, then installed, weathering caused it to lighten or darken to varying as well as a change color somewhat um, as materials in the slate oxidized in the sun. Slate roofs were constructed either using open sheathing with a network of battens or laths to which the slate was attached or <coughs> using closed sheathing. The individual slate shingles were laid in overlapping offset courses and secured in place using a wooden peg, a wire, or a nail. Not commonly ever made in copper, though. The exposed surface, exposed surface was rectangular in shape, but could also have been capped uh, or trimmed into hexagonal, triangular, or semicircular forms. The major source of decay in slate from weathering chemical components within the slate reached within the water and temperature to form gypsum crystals that <coughs> uh, could break as the slate apart along the horizontal cleavage plane. The result was seen as flaking or delamination of the surface. As the slate decayed, moisture penetrated and accelerated the process through a repeated freeze-thaw and thermal expansion and contraction cycles. Once moisture began to degrade the slate, the underlying wood sheathing and structural framing became vulnerable to damage as well. Insulation problems could occur when the nails were used and driven tightly into the slate or were prone to corrosion. That was another problem. Expand and therefore copper nails are recommended. A second installation problem occurred when the slates overlapped by less than two inches and thereby allowed weather to penetrate past the slate and migrate into the building by capillary action. Lastly, the mechanical force of walking on or something hitting the slate could cause slate to crack or become quite dislodged, very simply. Wood. Wood roofing is typically found on two forms, a board and batten system with a shingle system. In a board and batten roof, the sheathing consisted of boards running lengthwise down the slope of the roof, with the joints (coughs) between them covered by a batten, a piece of wood also running lengthwise down the slope of the roof, Shingles were thinner pieces of wood that were typically laid in offset overlapping courses between the eaves and the ridge. Shingles have been the more common roofing product on high-sloped roofs for many years. Shingles on the early colonial period were shaped to a uniform thickness to present a consistent appearance. A variation on traditional shingles was the shake, which actually was a shingle that had a much thicker and less more uniform in appearance. Historically, both types were nailed to open sheathing where the multiple layer uh, overlapping courses formed a weather tight assembly, and the gaps in open sheathing permitted airflow that accelerated the drying of the shingles after a storm. The introduction of rolled asphalt sheet goods, shingles, and plywood sheathing at the turn of the 20th century began to transition to a method for completely enclosing the roof and eventually reduced concerns over moisture penetration and increased fire resistance. Wood shingles have been used for both roofing and siding on a number of historic buildings throughout the past four centuries, perhaps reaching the height of their their popularity with the uh, Carpenter, Gothic, and Queen Anne styles of the, the 19th century and seeing renewed acceptance with the revival styles of the early 20th century. Wood roofs are susceptible to moisture absorption through capillary action at exposed end grains. Untreated or unpainted wood decays much more quickly on northern exposures and, and, and suffers ultraviolet decay on sunny southern, <coughs> southern and western exposures. The most direct evidence of decay includes curling or spitting, moss growth, dark water systems, and rot. Wood shingle roofs that are properly treated and maintained can last for 25 to 35 years. So, let's talk about metal. So, initially, made from wood, shingles would later be fabricated from stamped or rolled metal pieces that imitated wood shingles or decay tiles in appearance. For irregularly shaped roof elements, such as domes, cones, and bell-shaped roof sections, (coughs) parallel... Panels could be cast, stamped, or rolled and then fastened together. This approach allowed for elaborately ornamental roofing elements that simulated the appearance of more extensive methods, like stone or tile, at a fraction of their cost by weight. Efforts to make a lightweight metal roofing system could have been quickly installed, and to lead the church manufacturer to a wide variety of metal roofing products by the 20th century. Rolled sheet metal roofing products were composed of various non-ferrous metals such as copper, aluminum, and zinc, as well as coated ferrous metals such as tin-plated steel. The construction assembly was completed in three basic forms. First, the edges of the individual sheets of metal were mechanically fastened or folded to, to gather and solder to steel the seam. Second, standing seam roofs were composed of metal panels with edges that were bent up upward like a U-shaped strip of metal over the common joint between them. Third, sheets of car metals were applied like large shingles and secured either to a substitute or directly to the structural framing. Metal roofs could physically last for 30 years or more. With good maintenance, Two of the most common problems included corrosion and metal fatigue. Corrosion was caused by exposure to moisture and atmospheric pollutants. That resulted in the short-term staining, streaking, or spitting uh, of the surface or in the long-term decay positions of the metal roof itself. Sources include rain and snow melt, atmospheric uh, pollution, bird droppings, the presence of accumulated dirt and planks, moss, grass, small plants, that retain moisture and standing, um, and standing around water, um, and drains and gutters. One specific type of corrosion, uh, galvanic action, occurred when disassembler, disassembled metals were in conflict with each other. For example, direct contact between a copper object and an iron object causes the galvanic action that corrodes the metal. The long-term thermal expansion cycles common on metal roofs could cause metal fatigue. Over time, as the metal expanded and contracted, stress within the metal and at the concentrations reduced the integrity of the metal. Repeated flexures and buckling caused by creases that eventually began to tear at the metal apart. Metal fatigue could be accelerated by walking on the roof, usually high winds, and in some cases, hailstorms. So let's talk about asphalt. The continued search for lightweight and easily installed roofing materials led to the development in, in 1903, as of asphalt shingles that were made from roof, roofing felt treated with this bitumous asphalt and covered with small stone or colored ceramic granules, and these were shingles. By the mid 20th century, the color of the shingle is dictated by the granules which also block the ultraviolet energy from the sun and eliminate the fire in appearance. Asphalt shingles have several different configurations. The most common type is a three-tab shingle where the tabs strike to emulate as the previous uh, standard appearance of wood shingles or slate. Although they are not as thick as those earlier materials a variety of shingles were introduced in the early 20th century, including hexagonal, diamond, and other interlocking shapes that may no longer become available locally. One recent, <coughs> one recent uh, shingle that has been permitted in historic districts nationwide is the architectural shingle, which is thicker and more durable than the standard three-tab shingle and has an irregular tab sequence that is believed to better emulate the appearance of historic roofing. Rolled asbestos roof products came into two forms. First, for flat roofs, a build up roofing system was introduced in the, the 1850s and was in use by the 1880s across the country. The system consisted of alter, alternating layers of bitum-saturated felt and a bituminous binder that were installed correctly behind the roof decking. So when sufficient thickness was achieved, the exposed surface was covered with a ballast, crust gravel, river stone, or other stone to offset uplift lift forces even when the wind and block, uh, you're not even blocking the ultra-Italian light. The BUR system can, continues to be made on many houses and historic buildings to this day. Although the energy committed to be used on these many historic buildings to this day. Um, So they were uh, allowed to, uh, by the 1970s, the female carpenters were just opening up and were creating a a development in the late 20th century of alternate energy roofing systems that were less reliant on petroleum-based materials. One of these is the modified bitumen, which uh, in this roofing system, which he can be... (coughs) He can be laid in multiple piles and is secured in place by applying heat, touching, so that the membrane boards to the substrate as it cools. The second form of rolled roofing products consist of rolls of tar paper or building felt that were directly attached to a substrate. Tar paper has been used as a moisture and wind barrier, but more frequently it is used in modern construction. So when, it's, when it's, used in this, it's used in this way, it's used as an underlayment for other roofing products, uh, such as part of a BOR system. The product ha- has been known to contain asbestos. Inappropriate mechanical attachment methods, wind shift, and loss of continuity due to wind scouring and ultraviolet radiation to sunlight and temperature extremes leads back to the expansion and contraction of the material, causing it... To dry out, break apart, and reduce the overall integrity of the material. Evidence of these problems include brittleness. <clears throat> Evidence of these problems include brittleness, cracking, and cupping. Poor flashing practices prevent moisture to penetrate the surface, and mitigate between the layers of material. In BUR systems, alligated or undulating surfaces containing puddles of water are indicators of declining integrity. Another problem is clogged roof roof drains and scutters. Longevity varies widely due to this range of thickness and application methods. Residential grade shingles typically can last 15 to 20 years, while BUR systems may last for 20 to 25 years. So we're gonna finish up tonight with a single ply movement or single ply membrane single single ply membranes systems were introduced in the 1950s in the united states this system was only slowly accepted until the 1970s when it was viewed as an ecological alternative to the petroleum-based bur systems membrane systems available today compete with the installation and replacement of bur systems a common example is ethylene-propylene-diene monomer rubber roofing, which is essentially a synthetic rubber membrane covering rigid installation placed directly on the roof decking itself. Other single-ply membrane roofs have been made from polyvinyl chloride, thermoplastic polyphen, and numerous other polymers and elastometric materials in reaction to the failures of earlier production. Like BUR roof systems, single ply membrane roofs are secured to the roof and are (coughs) covered with gravel and or ballast stone to prevent wind or ultraviolet damage. Poor installation practices, improper (coughs) improper folds, seam adhesives, flashing and sealants, as well as inadequate maintenance, inspection and repair, hasten the decay of these materials. Exposure to ultraviolet light, wind scouring, and inappropriate alteration should also be avoided. This family of products should, should last for at least 20 to 30 years if well maintained. So we're going to finish up. That's Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist, signing out. Thanks everyone for listening.